0: Welcome to this episode of The Beat, the companion series to Policed in Ireland, where we look at news, events and research relating to policing in Ireland. I'm Vicky Conway, and today I'm joined by barrister David Burns to discuss the issue of Gardaí initiating and taking prosecutions. This has generated some attention of late between a recent High Court ruling and some recommendations from the Justice Committee. It's one of those issues that I think can seem quite niche and maybe insignificant, but as we're gonna to explore today, this isn't really the case. Um, so thank you very much for joining us, David. I'm uh, delighted to have you on today.
1: Uh, thank you, Vicky, for having me on.
0: Um, we might kind of like maybe try and work through this somewhat chronologically. So I suppose th- there's two different issues here. There- there's Guardy like making the decision to prosecute, and then there's Guardy actually doing the prosecutions themselves. Um, can you outline to us, like, when is it that guards decide that a prosecution be t- should be taken and when does the DPP do that?
1: Well, guards are giving, uh, given power under the garda Act to be able to investigate, obviously, um, uh, suspected criminal activity. But then guards are also empowered to go that step further and initiate a criminal prosecution in the district court. Court of summary jurisdiction. A guard can do that without ever having um, corresponded with or having any directions given by the Director of Public Prosecution. And of course, we know that the the different processes by which a criminal action can be commenced. It can be commenced by way of an administrative act, by way of the guard applying to the court registrar for the issue of a summons, and that gets posted out or or delivered uh, by a guard to the accused person or else it can be done by way of an arrest and the person then charged and handed a charge sheet. That's how the criminal process commences um, for all um, criminal offences when you think about it. But um, yes, the the Director of Public Prosecutions uh, is empowered to intervene at any time and to issue a direction to a guard, uh, whether that direction would mean uh, to continue with a prosecution or not, or as is often the case, a direction for a summary matter to proceed forward onto a higher court, such as the circuit court, for more serious matters, uh, for indictable offences.
0: So, is it the case that when we hear of, um, you know, prosecutions in the district court, that those are by and large initiated? Like that decision to prosecute is generally taken by the guards.
1: I think so, by and large, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. And if it's beyond, as you say, the DPP could intervene and take over, or could direct them not to proceed with that. But they're probably not by; they're not being sent those files, right? Um,
1: no, not unless it involves a um, an offence which is often referred to as a a summary offence that can also be tried on indictment, or perhaps more accurately, a, a, an indictable offence that can be tried summarily. And in those situations, the the guardie will then go and obtain uh, a direction from the, the director of public prosecutions, and that's what you hear so often in the district court as a practitioner uh, for um, a defendant is the question of whether or not the director of public prosecutions have given direct has given directions to send the, the the matter forward to the higher court, such as the circuit court, or whether the matter um, can stay in the district court. So that's the point where um, you, you most often hear the, the director of public prosecutions getting involved in prosecutions that guardy have initially decided to bring uh, either themselves or perhaps uh, when the guardy have already consulted the director of public prosecutions about whether or not a charge should be brought.
0: And I suppose just to clarify for any listeners that aren't, um, too familiar with this space, a, a summary, um, prosecution is one that takes place in the district court in the absence of a jury. So it's, it's decided on by the district court judge and will invariably have a lesser sentence attached to it. Whereas a crime on indictment, um, a jury is required, and the the potential sanctions are usually more serious. Um and as you say, some some cases can be tried what's called either way. um so that decision could be made about whether it will be tried summarily or an, on indictment. So that's just to clarify that. I certainly have a lot of views on the idea of guards being able to decide um to take a prosecution. what What's your own view on that?
1: Well, look. Um, I also have views on it. Um, from the outset, I can say I don't. Dis- I don't agree that guards should be able to do it. Uh, my reasons for it would be many. Uh, some of them are more straightforward; others are are complex. But in essence, I I deem the um, the division between the investigative powers and the powers to prosecute uh, that there is a distinction between those, and I believe that there should be a clear line between where one starts and the other um, commences. And so it's for that reason that we have an independent uh, statutory um, body which is headed by the Director of Public Prosecutions to be able to fulfil that role. Guards do a great job. They do a very important job in society. Each and every one of us depend on members of Angarda Siakana for, for matters in our life that we don't even think about in our day-to-day uh, lives. Uh, we're highly dependent on, a, on a, a, a good police force. And in Ireland, as we know, we have a police force that polices um, by the consent of the people. And by and large, on Shia Kona enjoys a very good relationship with the public and they, and they do an amazing job. Um, that, however, is a, a different issue as to whether uh, a guard... Regardless of their rank, uh, can make a decision or should be able to make a decision to bring a prosecution. Um, we have plenty of examples throughout history, and this is by no means a, 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 an attempt to, to flog the Guardi or any other police force. We don't have to um, limit our discussion to Ireland, but um, there, there's so many examples that could be given to illustrate. Uh, reasons why guards as investigators who are immensely embedded and invested into the job that they are doing and are at risk of becoming somewhat um, tunnel-visioned on it. All of that can happen very genuinely. All of that can happen without any malice. Uh, and all of that can happen without uh, members of the guardy even being aware that it's happening. So um, subconscious bias, as we know, is something that is uh, a matter that we all have to watch in our professional lives. But I think somebody who is given the power of the state, uh, a very significant power to uh, make a decision that can have significant and long lasting effects on a person that is to be made the subject of a criminal prosecution is something that needs to have safeguards. Built into it. We, we are familiar with safeguards that are uh, imposed by law, uh, which is largely handed down by the Constitution, Article 38.1, which we know requires uh, a trial in, in due course of law. And there is a, an enormous body of case law that has developed on what that sentence means. a significant and wide ranging, in effect. But in terms of what the Constitution and what the law says about uh, um, pre-prosecution, the pre-prosecution stage, that is the investigative stage, the law, funny enough, is largely um, uh, distant from that. And that is quite surprising in so many ways. For the most part, the law involves itself in the pre-prosecution stage, largely when it comes to perhaps the rules of evidence, the gathering of evidence. We've had a couple of famous cases uh, in that respect. But by and large, the exercise of power by members of Ongarda Shia Kona, uh, the courts give them a very wide berth of discretion in their decision making. And that's due uh, by and large to the varying degrees of complexity that's involved in making their decisions, oftentimes in a split second when uh, matters occur on the street, for example, in a public order matter. But then also, guards are often given plenty of scope to be able to sit back and have a long think about matters before they make decisions.
0: Yeah, so I think you know, and I very much agree. And I think that one point you make about that almost almost the separation of powers, right? That those who are investigating should not also have the power to prosecute. Like I would be very firm on that. That that vests too much power. In, in one section of the state in terms of prosecutions. But there's also, an, an, and you mentioned safeguards there, I mean, hundreds of thousands of cases are taken in the district court on an annual basis. Um, and the thing here for me is that, like the DPP has set out guidelines for prosecutors. There are clear criteria for when prosecutions should be taken. There's a likelihood of conviction. It's in the public interest. These kind of factors. But there's no real way... To realistically check that those are being followed, when it comes to because of the volume cases in the district court, like who could actually oversee that and who would be engaging in that paperwork? So that's a real concern for me as well that we can't know that the proper standards are being applied. Would you would agree with that?
1: I wholeheartedly agree with it, um, and, and perhaps just to develop on that um, a little bit. First of all. Take take the, uh, the the guidelines for prosecutors, which you had mentioned. There is no way of policing whether uh, they are complied with or not. Um, I must admit, I have seen instances uh, in my practice uh, as a criminal barrister where, in my view, um, I strongly believe that they hadn't been complied with. Some some in some cases, to a, a very. Uh, small extent, but yet significant in effect. It, again, in my view, it's not something that you can bang the drum on too hard, especially in a district court. Uh, I should say that, um, and I don't think this would be overly controversial to say, but district judges by and large are um, obviously very respectful of members of Angarda Shea and so that should be the case. But um, there's a difference between being respectful uh, and also being somewhat deferential. And uh, there are cases that have established that a guard giving oral evidence in a court shouldn't really be afforded any more weight that to that evidence than any other ordinary person. Now, that's not taken away from the fact that guards are deemed to be what's called professional witnesses. Um but there are many different types and categories of professional witnesses that come before the courts. One of the most, commonly, uh, one of the most common uh, types of professional witnesses that come before the courts, as we know, are expert witnesses. And even expert witnesses, uh, there's huge amounts of case law that has confirmed that uh, the expert cannot supplant the fundamental role of the judge or jury, and that is deciding what we call the ultimate issues in the case. Um, but uh, guards, uh, it's so often the case where guards are given evidence, uh, and the guard who's given the evidence is also the guard who decided to prosecute the case, and it's also the guard who in some cases is, uh, or could be characterized as the actual victim of the crime. So for example, a guard in the course of his duty who alleges that uh, so-and-so was acting in a a manner that was against public order. And there was some uh, hustle and bustle or physical engagements involved or use of particular language, uh, threatening abuse of or insulting language. And, um, you know, guards are obviously meant to be robust in the job that they carry out. But that doesn't take away from the fact that some guards who are at the receiving end of what there's no doubt uh, is often uh, really, really unsavoury conduct, By certain members of the public. Um, But then then that guard is is being asked to go away and decide objectively whether a prosecution should or should not be brought. One could say that perhaps they're not independent to the situation if they've been involved in a debacle uh, that now gives rise to the question of whether a prosecution should be brought or not. So are they or are they not entirely independent in that decision-making I would wager and say that in so many cases, they're not.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I mean, as you're talking, I'm starting to worry about scenarios where someone in detention, um, you know, maybe acting aggressively and a guard can legitimately say to them, you carry on with that line and I'm going to be prosecuting you prosecuting you for assault. And, you know, so you may be shaping behavior in the station um, in a way w- which I would find kind of inappropriate as well. And then there are the instances where, and, you know, I know certainly I've been following certain people on Twitter who've been commenting a lot about, let's say, prosecutions for very small amounts of drugs, like 20 euro, 12 euro, 40 euro. Um, and, you know, a whole prosecution... Um, based around that, with all of the consequences for the individual for that. Um, and as I say, you know those those guidelines for prosecutors, is it in the public interest? You know, is that a good use of resources? Is it a good use of the the court time and so on? So, okay, so there's a lot of issues arising with just that decision on prosecution. And then the other side of it, as we said, is Guardy actually acting as prosecutors in the court. Um, could you perhaps explain to us, like, what that means and how that works? You know, for someone that really isn't used to courtrooms, let's say.
1: Ah, uh, sure. Um, I guess uh, we all um have gotten so much direction from watching TV programs. Long before I ever studied law, that was my only source of education, if you will. And of course, it's not a source of education at all. It's, dra- it's drama that's uh, designed to entertain us. And certainly entertaining it is. Um, but in a nutshell, a prosecutor is the person who is empowered by the state to be able to bring charges against uh, a person. The charges contain allegations of criminal wrongdoing. And um, and then it's the prosecutor's job to uh, deliver or present the evidence to a court and to assist the court or a jury as the case may be. But given that our subject is on guardy prosecuting, I'll confine my discussion as much as I can to the district court because that's where Guardie are empowered to prosecute uh, themselves. Uh, and so the guard as a prosecutor is, is supposed to, as a prosecutor, uh, assist the court, the district judge in, uh, in obtaining the evidence against the accused person. Um, and that can often involve the guard arranging the, the, uh, the witnesses that ought to attend. Sometimes they're what we call civilian witnesses that are members of the public who are called to give evidence. Other times it might be other members of Angarda Siakana who are, might have been involved in the situation at hand. And, uh, and the, the prosecuting guidelines, and this is a very important uh, element of the prosecuting guidelines, requires that a prosecutor not seek a conviction at all costs. And of course, now we're into the TV drama stuff where we see the, you know, the the unblemished prosecuting lawyer in The Devil's Advocate. Remember that movie with Keanu Reeves? You know, we got the uh, pitch perfect results, uh, never had a failed case. That's not how it is in reality. Um, uh, it's, it's the prosecutor's job to deliver the evidence in a clear way, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and not to do everything at all costs to secure a conviction. And that's what the guidelines require. Um, If you have a guard who is wrapped up, if you will, in the situation too much, there is a fear and there is a risk that perhaps this division of power, uh, the lines get blurred and um and I have seen and I, and I have no difficulty in saying this I have seen uh cases that I have been involved in firsthand where I firmly believe that uh, a guard thankfully they're few and far between and i and I will say that but I have seen cases where the guard has completely become wrapped up in this situation uh just recently uh, I had a situation in, in a in a district court which uh, was, was resolved in a district court appeal in the circuit court where there was um, evidence of a recording, uh, funny enough, taken inside the district court itself that was relevant evidence to the situation at hand. It was an, an alleged um, breach of public order that occurred, funny enough, right outside the very courtroom where the case was being had on a previous day and um, the the question was over whether or not my client was entitled to go into the court or whether a witness exclusion order had been made by the judge and this set the context and background to the situation as it occurred where there was a a bit of a, a rocket outside the courtroom but we managed to resolve this position whereby there was a lack of disclosure made of the recording made inside the district court on the day in question. And then when we obtained that by direction of the circuit court judge, we were then able to establish that my client, in fact, was not prohibited from being allowed into the court. And so therefore, there was no authority, if you will, on behalf of the Garda in question to exclude my client from the courtroom. And of course, that issue of whether he was excluded from the courtroom or not had become a bone of contention at the time. And the alleged debacle then resulted in that context. So let's use that as an example. If there was an independent prosecutor involved in that case from the outset, including the decision to prosecute, and the decisions over which evidence needs to be disclosed. It might have been a a different situation with the decision to prosecute if an independent solicitor or barrister, for example, had had to consider all of the evidence, including the audio recording taken inside in the court, before making the decision to bring the charge. And so my client was effectively acquitted on appeal of the charge. But it had to go through all of that process to reach that point. That was a situation hanging over him for over two years, you know. Um, So I think that's a a recent example that I um, observed myself firsthand.
0: One of the other issues that I have in this space as well is, I mean, you know, to be a prosecutor people go through an awful lot of training to become a solicitor or barrister and to be able to perform that role and it's a really particular skill set and it's not one that is part of um, the the Garda training um, naturally now we do have some guards that go off and study the BL and you know even kind of start to specialise in that space but you know it's a, it's a very different skill set to investigating and preventing crime um, to prosecute it and it kind of I'd be worried from that point of view about that quality and standard that we can't assure it if they haven't been properly trained for it.
1: Certainly, I um, agree with that point, uh, Vicky. I mean, there is a distinction between training for investigative and uh, dealing with public and a very complex and difficult job that members of Angarda Shea Kona have to deal with every day. In fact, I wonder if any guard uh, would like uh, to be shoveled with the are shouldered with the power to go one step further and bring a prosecution. I know if I was a guard, I certainly would want to hand that over to someone else and and keep it out of my domain altogether. Um, The other thing about training uh, for law is, of course, those questions that come into a, 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 a prosecutor's mind when deciding to do something or not to do something is knowing down the line what effect that will have when the matter would come before the court or come before a jury. We can't expect, we cannot reasonably expect members of Angarshi corner to be able to know all of those things. And that's not taken away from the fact that a lot of experienced guards over time will build up a, a very significant um, degree of experience with what does and what does not go on in courts. But being around courts and observing these matters from time to time does not, um, does not uh, supplant professional legal training and so yes lawyers who have gone through the mill who have trained for this particular specialization in my view and of course hard to say this without being accused of being biased but i think objectively speaking lawyers are the people who uh, should be involved in the, the matters concerning issues of law now that's not to say that members of angarda shia Kona do not have access to internal legal advice within angarda shia Kona. of course they do um, but uh, but that's a different issue. Uh, we don't know what the processes are involved internally and what access a guard has to a lawyer, an independent lawyer. And one could say, well, is a lawyer working within on Shea corner independent to the overall situation? Certainly, they would be more removed from the si- from the the, the alleged offence at hand. But it also comes back to um um. Who, who, calls the, who calls the matter out when there's um, allegations of wrongdoing? So, for example, if a lawyer is in difficulty, we are accountable to the Legal Services Regulation Authority. That's the new body created uh, in recent years that now has remit, if you will, over both barristers and solicitors. But apart from that, barristers are also subjected to the code of conduct from the Bar Council. And then behind that, there's another code of conduct which is established by King's Inns, which all barristers who practice in Ireland uh, are a member of, uh, of King's Inns. Some barristers uh, operate independent of the Bar of Ireland, and that's fine. They're still subject to the code of conduct set by King's Inns. Those codes of conduct largely resemble one another. But um, solicitors, of course, are subjected to uh, the, the Code of Conduct is established also by the Law Society. So we're accountable. Uh, there's no question about that. We're accountable. Uh, um, clients uh, or other um, qualified people can make formal complaints against us, and we have to face the music on that in In the context of our professional obligations. Certainly members of Angarda Schia Kona, there's the disciplinary regulations, and they have the force of statute, their secondary legislation. But I'm not at all familiar or or have I ever heard of a guard ever being subjected to a disciplinary process as a result of how they conducted um, a a summary prosecution in the district court.
0: And in fact, I think that would be really, and equally, I've not heard of it um, on the GSOC side of things either. And it would actually be something of a fool's errand, wouldn't it? Because if you try to take a disciplinary action, well, you have the perfect defense, well, you didn't train me to do that job, so you can hardly discipline me for it when I don't do it to the standard required. Um, And I think it's important as well, like those disciplinary regulations and GSOC and so on, possibly don't operate with, you know, the idea of guards as prosecutors in mind. Their primary function is around investigation and detection of crime. And one of the other things that um, concerns me about this, and it was something we talked about certainly on the Commission of Future Policing, which you'll come back to, is the amount of time that goes into it. The amount of time that guards are spending in courtroom, in addition to being witnesses, you know, that there's there's a certain amount of work that guards have to do in court, be witnesses in cases. But to be doing this work on top of it consumes a huge amount of work. I and mean, We would have met, you know, guards that were, spending half, two-thirds of their week in in courtrooms, which means they're not doing the investigation or detection of crime or any of the other functions that more appropriately fall under their scope and training. Um, I assume you're you're nodding along, so I'm assuming agreement there
1: as well. I am in agreement. Uh, the fools are in, I think, is a great point because um, take, for example, even though uh, I'm a qualified barrister and a similar situation applies to a qualified solicitor, I'm only entitled or, or, or obliged to take on a case that I'm competent to be able to deal with. Mm. So just because I'm a barrister doesn't mean I can just say yes to any particular brief that comes in the door. I have to sit back and ask myself, am I competent to be able to take that brief? Because it's fair to say the law is broad and deep and there are so many criminal offenses on the statute book and in common law. And so if a barrister uh, who, who specializes in this area has to sit back and ask that question, how come a guard doesn't have to sit back and ask that question yeah. just because somebody is a guard does not automatically mean that they are competent to prosecute every single offense that they are given power to do uh, in the district court. And so that's one concern that comes up and um And and on the issue of time being consumed, absolutely, sure. We know from the um, the the Commission on Future Policing, and in the process that led to that twenty eighteen report, there was no doubt uh, on anyone's mind that the consumption of time and the use of those resources uh, is something that. The commissioner of Angarda Shia Kona at the time, I believe it was acting commissioner, Donald Coulomb was in the hot seat at the time. He very clearly came out and said, we don't want to be doing this. It's cutting into our, our primary objective. And that is to be on the, the, the street, be on the beat, policing crime, keeping society safe, uh, you know, at the coal face. And this is cutting into our limited resources, having guards wrapped up in prosecutorial um, roles and duties. The um, the uh, policing authority also agreed. Uh, the policing authority went one step further and introduced a human rights element uh, or a human rights concern. And then the guard inspectorate also agreed guards should not be tied up in courts. They should be out on the, 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 the cold face, at the cold face, dealing with and policing uh, society. So we then have the government Government then uh, rode in behind all of that and accepted the recommendation put forward by the Commission on Future Policing. Hands down, it wasn't a qualified acceptance. It wasn't in principle, which that word is a bone of contention of mine, given what subsequently transpired. We might come to that in a moment. It was an all-out cross-sector support. Guards should not be involved in prosecutions. Not just, oh, well, let's have certain categories of guards, a rank of guards, sergeants, inspectors, like the recent matter arising from the David decision for Miss Justice Bulger. No, it was an all-out agreement that guards should not be prosecuting. It should be lawyers.
0: And for me, that links, I it's, it's a real bugbear of mine because it links to such a bigger point that is really beyond the scope of today, but I, I want to make it nonetheless, is that you know, pretty much any day of the week, you can open a newspaper or listen to media and you will find somebody bemoaning the lack of guards on the street or the lack of, you know, pro- progress in criminal investigations. It, it's, it, it's nearly, and it's not entirely, but there are, you know, the majority of the population basically wants more guards. And we get government commitments, yeah, we'll have 400 more guards a year or 800 more guards a year. Whereas what we said in the Commission of Future Policing is you actually have to look at the resources that the guards have and how they're being used. Um, you know, the guards can't actually tell you. They literally do not have the facilities to tell you on any given day what their guards are doing. Um, They had to do a paper based census on one particular day to get any sense of it. And we have guards that are conducting these prosecutions, that are conducting investigations for GSOC, that are transferring prisoners to and from um, prisons um, to the court, that are doing immigration work. And in the commission, we talked about this in terms of non core duties, that these should not be at the heart of what the guards are doing. And I'm very firmly of the view if you took all of that work away from the guards, we could have a much more effective service doing what it's meant to be doing, which is, you know, preventing, investigating, um, detecting crimes. Um, But that's my little rant. Um, You mentioned there a recent uh, judgment by Mrs. Justice Bulger. Uh, Mrs. Justice Bulger, can you explain to us what that was about?
1: Yes, um, that was a, a decision, I think, that was coming for some time. Certainly, the state knew it was in the pipeline for decision. Uh, it didn't come as a surprise but in effect um, the the practice in the district court day in and day out is that um, certain guards known as court presenters will um, present the cases in the district court Uh, and that means uh, guards who have not been involved in uh, the decision to prosecute uh, or, or had any involvement with the accused person, uh, or anything of the sort. And so, day to day in the district court, uh, when a person comes before the district court for the first time accused of a crime, uh, the, the question will be uh, over matters such as the evidence, so the disclosure of evidence. The The other matter will be then about the question of bail. If somebody is summoned to a court under a charge, the question then is they have to be And placed on remand. they can be placed on remand in custody. Uh, In Dublin, um, a lot of people will be familiar with Clover Hill, but there's remand centres all around the country. Uh, Or whether the person will be placed on remand on bail. And I think everyone is colloquially familiar with bail, where um, a person accused of a crime will have to enter into a bond. And uh, oftentimes that can be subject to conditions such as stay away from the alleged victim, and pay up a certain amount of money, uh, hand over your passport, be subject to a curfew, have a mobile phone with you and be contactable at all times and so on and so forth. And they are matters that can be played out in court. Oftentimes they can be contested, meaning that the state object to bail, or perhaps they will consent to bail on certain conditions that perhaps are, are contested. And that then will end up in a hearing before the district judge whereby the defence barrister or solicitor um, has to um, make the case for their client to be admitted to bail uh, subject to conditions that satisfy the judge. Not which satisfy the guards, but which satisfy the judge. It's often uh, referred to in courts as, would it satisfy you guard if my client did x, y and Z?" But in fact, we're there to satisfy the court. Uh, The other matter that arises then is um, Uh, repeated remands where matters are put back for certain dates uh, to see whether or not evidence has been disclosed. The matter that we discussed earlier on about whether or not DPP has given directions or not, directions to stay in the district court or or to go forward to the higher court. Um, And then, of course, there is the issue of the actual hearing itself. And so um, in reports recently on this subject, uh, the Department of, of Justice um, had uh, released a, um, a press release that sort of reduced down the role of these court presenters to just procedural matters. Uh, and that's not true. Uh, these court presenters, as well as other guards, carry out prosecutions, full-blown hearings of criminal matters in the court from start to finish. It's not just simply matters of procedure at all. Um, court presenters are most often uh, guardy at sergeant rank or inspector rank. Um, And so the question arose in the the David case as to what law actually allows for this practice to occur. Yes, the law currently and clearly, uh, or then clearly, allowed for a guard to bring the prosecution, but it didn't allow for another guard to run a prosecution on behalf of the prosecuting guard. And that was the issue that came before the High Court and Miss Justice Bulger, having traversed the, the history of the law, went back into some Victorian statutes, and, and also examined the Garda-Shea Act of 2005. And um, there was a very complex uh, interpretation of law required, but in a nutshell, it effectively came down to uh, whether there was a, a conjunctive element of commencing and prosecuting a case, as distinct from commencing or prosecuting a case. And Miss Justice Bulger held that the, the wording of the, the statute actually meant that it's the guard who initiates the prosecution must also be the guard who runs the prosecution in court, and that another guard cannot do that on their behalf. And so what we, what we have in, in, in courts is the right of audience Not just anybody can uh, present themselves into the body of a court and start speaking to a judge concerning live proceedings. It's a very strict environment and for good reason, or else it would be chaos. Barristers are given a right of audience because when we qualify and are admitted to the barrister at low degree, we are called, uh, and that's the term, we are called to the bar by the chief justice, Um, and, and that's what gives us a right of audience similar situation occurs with solicitors. Solicitors are officers of the court. Uh, it, there, there's a kind of a vagueness as to whether barristers are or are not officers of the court. And then the question is whether or not a, gar- a member of on Kona is or is not an officer of the court. But in any event, the, the right of audience was um, vested in members of on Kona by virtue of this statutory framework. And um, and, and after that was examined, that was the result. The result then was a member of Angerda Sheikona who commenced the who commenced the criminal proceedings must be at the guard to run the the, the the prosecution in the district court. And so, um, on foot of that decision, effectively for a, a brief moment in time, and I say that very um, particularly, um, the, the district courts grinded to a halt because while, whilst it's the case, that certainly solicitors present themselves, as solicitors on behalf of the, uh, the Director of Public Prosecution will prosecute cases in the district court in Dublin and in certain parts of the country. Um, in so many other district courts, there is a sergeant or a Garda inspector who presents the cases and who deals with the procedural matters. And so it's fair to say for um, a, a brief few days, The Director of Public Prosecutions, and fairness, did a mighty job, in my view, of um, filling the gap and and ensuring that solicitors were available in the district court to get the the court procedure back up and running. Because the
0: alternative Um, is, I mean, if we take it that it has to be the guard that initiated the prosecution. I mean, anyone, if you've ever stepped into the district court, like a list could cover 50 hearings in a day right relating to different cases because it could be those small procedural matters um and so you could potentially be talking about 30 or 40 different guards that have to come in and um you know do the court presenting work and you'd have a different guard for every single case. Um, that was the alternative, which is obviously completely unworkable from a guarder point of view. There's that acknowledgement of the issue around time. Um, so the court presenters were to make it viable to have the guards there doing the prosecution. And then, as you say, um, this case said that court presenters as such don't have that right of audience at the same time. And it was really interesting because. So, as you said, the commission of future policing had recommended that the guys shouldn't be doing this work. The policing, the police powers bill, the general scheme of it had been published um, earlier this year, and the justice committee held um, pre-legislative scrutiny hearings um, at the start of the year. Sorry, the bills came out last year. The hearings were at the start of this year. And in relation to this, the bill had actually gone against what the commission had said and had kind of continued this role of guards acting as court presenters. Um, And it was really interesting because I think it was the same week as this court hearing, the Justice Committee issued its report on the general heads of bill and said we should be moving to a place where guards are not conducting prosecutions, but we understand that in the short term, you know, we may need to to have them doing it for a little while until we can get the structures in place. But it did in principle say that's where we should be going. So we have this very clear statement from the Justice Committee, from the Commission of the Future of Policing, now from the courts, saying we can't really have a court presenter system. So how did the minister respond?
1: Well, I mean, you know, uh, I I was quite taken by the minister's response, not the interim response. I'll be the first to say that a stopgap measure to try and give a bit of time uh, to maintain the status quo, to give a bit of time to uh, put a a longer term plan in place, i.e. the implementation of the recommendations from the Commission of Future Policing that everybody has agreed to and which is in the Programme for Government. Now, let's not forget, the Programme for Government is the mandate upon which any government will um, um, present to the people at the time when they're looking for votes to say, here's what we say we will do. Does every government fulfil every um, promise in their Programme for Government? Certainly not. Uh, But this is a big one, I think. Uh, And it's it's a clear commitment in it. So I understood that the stopgap measure had to be put in place. And, in, and, and I think any Minister for Justice who found themselves in that situation uh, couldn't be criticised for wanting to do that as a temporary measure. The thing that got me, though, is that in the Dole, when they were debating um, the, the urgent legislation that was being pushed through by the government, um, and where Sinn Féin and other political parties had, say, suggested um, certain provisions that would perhaps put a sunset clause on this, or limit or limit the rank upon which court presenters can be. Um, the minister represented that, well, we'll deal with all of those more permanent matters in the policing bill. And that's, makes perfect sense. Indeed, that's where they should be dealt with because the policing bill is a mammoth and it aims to replace uh, the garda kona Act altogether. The garda kona Act, let's remember, itself was a huge statutory change at the time when that was introduced. So um, the problem, though, is when you then go into Section 8 of the policing bill, it's almost it's crafted in almost identical language to what section eight of the Garda kona Act is, and that meant that the continuation of Gardi and court presenters as as it was the case at the time, was going to continue. So I I was surprised I must admit that the minister was representing to the elected members that Look, we'll deal with the issue on a permanent basis with the bill. When, at the same time, the bill, as the, the as uh, the, as the heads were drafted, was continuing the practice despite the programme for government, despite the commission on policing, uh, on future policing, despite the policing authority, Garda Inspectorate, and on Garda Kona themselves. Now, maybe that's just an oversight. Uh, in respect to drafting up the heads, but but I, I can't just leave it go that simply. You know, this is an important matter.
0: Mm. And I think I mean, so we could be, so the basically the position is is that they are legislating to allow for court, court presenters, um, certainly at least in the interim, if not longer term. So what it the key now is going to be. We've had the general scheme of the police powers bill. We're going to have the full police powers bill. I imagine this autumn, Um, the Justice Committee report didn't suggest that many changes. So it's really going to be about looking at that and what's in that bill. And are we seeing, you know, the the provisions around that? But it's not just about those provisions because there is work that's going to be, you know, if the guards aren't doing this work, then obviously solicitors and barristers need to be doing that work. Uh, the Justice Committee talked about moving towards a National Prosecution Service. And so there will have to be, you know, the structures put in place to enable that to happen. Um, you know, we mentioned already it's hundreds of thousands, well, I think maybe about 150,000 cases, criminal cases in the district court on an annual basis. You know, it's a huge amount of work that has to be moved elsewhere. It does require structures be put in place to enable that to happen. And, um, So, you know, it's about the legislation and it's about that commitment um, to those structures and to paying lawyers instead of guards to do this work. Um, Are you optimistic that we're going to see that?
1: Um, Yes, I have to say I'm optimistic um, because I'm always optimistic about reform. Um, I know my recent article in the Examiner recently was headed, why are we regressing on reform? But look, I think to keep it on a positive note, we all know this has to be done. Uh, I believe it will be done uh, for that reason. Uh, for it not to be done, it would it would be a blatant um, regression on the reforms that this government has promised. Now, I should say this. Um, I'm not affidia- affiliated at all with any political party. I'd mentioned one particular um, party earlier on. I- I'm not a member of any political party. I'm speaking today as a member of... Uh, uh, practicing at the bar of our, at the bar representing clients uh, i'm speaking on my own behalf i'm not speaking on behalf of the bar of ireland or anybody else but yes i'm optimistic um the thing is with the national prosecution service that has been canvassed out so many times my point is we already have a national prosecution service the director of public prosecution by and large do a very good job um To suggest that we need a national prosecution service is to suggest that the DPP needs reform. Now, maybe that's the case. Reform is always good. Uh, The the DPP operates almost like a black box. It's next to impossible to uh, to get an insight as, as to how the DPP operates. They're given such a huge degree, if not one of the highest levels of deference on behalf of the judiciary. And that can be for good reason, of course, because um, decisions on bringing prosecutions where they're taken in-house by solicitors and authorized officers by or on behalf of the director of public prosecutions, that can often be a scary job. You know, um, somebody who's accused, especially somebody who might be involved in serious gangland violence, uh, I wouldn't want my identity being known as the person who directed that prosecution against, um, you know, a uh, uh, serious players like that and so it's understandable why uh, the DPP is largely left alone and not scrutinized publicly. The flip side of that of course is that um, oftentimes uh, when prosecutions are brought and let's say somebody is acquitted there's a big question over whether um, um, the prosecution should have ever been brought at all. Uh, Largely, though, where that question arises is if it's somebody who's not legally aided and they're paying for their own defense and they succeed uh, in their defense against the state prosecution. The question about whether they're entitled to recover their legal costs, it's not an automatic one like what you would get in a civil action. It's far more nuanced. It's far more complex because it recognizes the state's obligation, if you will, to prosecute crime in the interest of the public. And so um, we have a National Prosecution Service that sprawls out across the country whereby there's uh, state solicitors situated in in each county, and and they're called uh, state solicitors because they work on behalf of the the Director of Public Prosecution. They feed into uh, the Dublin uh, office of the DPP um, to get directions from time to time on matters. So... We have a National Prosecution Service. The question is, is a National Prosecution Service working? By and large, I would say it is. Does it need uh, looking at for um, the purpose of reform? I would say absolutely. These matters should always be considered for reform. I can't remember the last time, in fact, the Office of the DPP was even considered for reform. But perhaps now with this change that is in the pipeline, that that will inherently involve, I think, Uh, An examination of whether DPP is properly resourced. It will inherently need more solicitors or barristers on board. In respect to the budget of all of this, um, a point that you raised earlier on, the the cost of of a guard prosecuting, the cost of a sergeant acting as a court presenter, a a guard inspector. I'm not entirely sure what a guard a sergeant makes or, or, or an inspector to include overtime and whatnot but I certainly know what the average barrister makes at the criminal bar. Now, I'm entering into a, a new can of worms here because we all know that the, the, the criminal barristers have recently spoken out and are dissatisfied about fees that are being paid to them. I think they're back at 2002 rates. Um, sometimes, uh, back to those issues of remand in the district court, a barrister makes something like €25.20. Uh, to run a bail application or to run a hearing, it's somewhere between 50 and 70 euros. That's an awful lot of responsibility on the shoulders of a barrister to take on for minuscule amounts of money like that. Some will argue, Abisher, ah, sure, don't you have 10 or 12 cases in a day. If you're uh, immensely lucky, you might get once, uh, once in a blue moon a day like that. But by and large, uh, you might have one or two cases a day um, if you're lucky. So...
0: you know there will be additional costs in that someone else, you know, the DPP's budget will have to be increased in a way that it wasn't before, but It's still work being done. It was being paid for one way, we'll now pay for it another way. And as I said, we should be freeing up guarded time. Maybe we don't need all of those new higher guards that it's being suggested that we need. So yeah, I think there's going to be issues to consider in doing this. But the the point I think that we've made quite well today or explored in detail is the principled reason why this needs to occur. I must say I'm not quite as optimistic as you about whether or not we will see this um, in the next year or so um, but I just want to say a really big thanks to David for cha- chatting with me today um, we'll continue to watch the space and hope to see that change in the policing power bill um, thanks also to Tony Gross for producing the beat and to you, the listeners um, if you've already subscribed well then you're pretty awesome and we really appreciate your support if you haven't please consider doing so at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and if you can't afford to then please just spread the word retreat and recommend to your friends